right, Matthew chapter 5, we're going to start a new chapter, and we're going to start a new section, and uh, we are starting the Sermon on the Mount, one of the, the first of many great uh, discourses that Christ gives, and this is one of the big ones. Everybody likes to talk about it. You start in chapter 5 here, you get the Beatitudes, and you got the rah rah rahs and the knee knee knees and all the good stuff that comes, and they get rocking and rolling. And if you just read verse 1 and 2, well, verse 1, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in, the spirit, in spirit, for theirs is the body of Christ. No, wait a second. The church, kingdom of what? See, so everybody gets all worked up about this stuff, and yet it has nothing to do with the church, the body of Christ today. That's the great thing about understanding the issues of right division. And you, you, can, you can look at these. We're going to run down through, hopefully tonight, about verse 15, 16, right in there, 14. Uh, maybe if we can get there. And what happens is, is you can take all of this information, the, the Beatitudes, and you can make spiritual applications to us, but they are not talking about us. And some, some of it you have to stretch to make even that. So when you get the picture here as we begin to look at it, Verse number one, and seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. So set, like a king, sits on the throne. Um, and verse three, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The theme of all of this, of the Sermon on the Mount, is about the kingdom of heaven. And a mountain in Scripture is a picture of a kingdom. Come over with me to Revelation. And let me, Revelation 17. Revelation 17. A lot of times, all through the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we've seen it in our studies in Luke, and we've seen our, in our studies in John, the pictures that are there. The Lord is going to come and sit in the kingdom as a king. That's what we're talking about. Um, Revelation 17, we're just going to jump in, verse number 9. And here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. And there are seven kings. So where does a king sit? on a throne in a kingdom. So the mountains there is the issue of that is of of kingdoms. Come back to with me to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. And and again, when you're in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, understanding what prophecy is all about and what's going on back in the Old Testament is critical because Matthew, Mark, Luke and John is just a continuation of all of that information Daniel 2 notice if you will just again we're just jumping in here verse 35 Daniel 2:35 Daniel is giving Nebuchadnezzar the dream okay and he starts there in verse 32 the image his head was of fine gold and so forth verse 35 then was the iron the clay the brass the silver and the gold broken into pieces together and become like the, cha the, the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away, and no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Well, what the stone, okay, it became a great mountain. Look over at verse 44, Daniel 2.44. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom 
which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of a mountain without hands, and off he goes. So that issue, come back one more, Isaiah chapter 2. That issue of him sitting in a mountain, the pit, literally he's on a mountain, okay? <laughs> but, fig, but, but the typology, the pictures that he's painting is he's sitting in the kingdom, he comes set, he's sitting on the throne. Uh, Isaiah 2 verse number 2. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. And again, the mountain of the, of the Lord's house. In scripture, the mountain symbolize, is a symbol, a picture of a kingdom. Um, So when you come back, come back to Matthew 5. When, when we look at it here, he's going to sit down and he's going to teach them. So he's speaking to them. He's talking to them not as if the kingdom is here, because it isn't here. What's the message? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's near. So he's speaking from them, hey, look, the kingdom is near. But the pictures of it he, is, is him sitting there. So the Sermon on the Mount here, or as he begins to speak to him, it has to do with the principles of the kingdom of heaven. And what he's going to describe for us now, starting in verse 3, is that he's going to describe kingdom living. He's going to describe what the lifestyle of the kingdom saint is going to look like. And it's what it's going to be like. And these folks will go through the 70th week of Daniel and on into the kingdom. And he's describing the lifestyle that they're going to go over here and have in the kingdom of, he in the kingdom of heaven. So, and, and really what he's, obviously they don't know about the Apostle Paul, okay? Because none of this is... All right, we're going to do this after the body of Christ is gone. This is what's going to happen. He's not talking that way at all. That's why none of this information has anything to do about us and with us. And as, again, as we go through, the, through chapter 5, 6, and 7, which is the Sermon on the Mount, we'll see the, spo the, sp the spontaneous living for other people that they're going to have, that's going to break out. And that literally he's describing here from them that he's demonstrating, not describing, demonstrating that the establishment of the kingdom is going to bring about peace and happiness, prosperity, and blessing to all of mankind. And the way that this happens is he's going to pull out that new spirit, the new covenant. That comes, as we've studied when we looked in Luke and when we looked in John and other studies, the New Covenant, they get a taste of it in early Acts, but it's established at the second coming when he comes and establishes the kingdom. Ezekiel 36 and Jeremiah 31 and so forth. When he does all that, now they have a new heart, they have a new spirit, they have a, they have a, 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 an internal spontaneous living for other people and uh, that's really literally what he's doing here and what he's describing it, are you in Matthew 5 okay hold on to here and let, let's just run back to Ezekiel 36 because I want to make sure that you see this about the, the this living and then we'll go into Matthew 5 and, and look at it and, and kind of work our way down I was going to just kind of bolt through this stuff and read it and keep going, but the more I think about it and have been thinking about it, the today I sat at the Desert Botanical Garden um, all morning on a field trip, and uh, I took a, 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 a dumb book to read, you know, something that 
doesn't require a lot of thinking, my Grisham book. And I, I took the two, the, the two, the, the late, not the last, the latest, but the one before it. So it just kind of, but I'm reading it and I'm thinking about Matthew 5. <laughs> so I put it down and cracked open the phone and, and read it, you know. Look at Ezekiel 36. Look at verse, we'll start in verse 23. And, and the comparative passage is Jeremiah 31. It, the whole chapter of Jeremiah 31, not just 31 to 34, okay? But just jump in here at verse 23. Ezekiel 36, 23. And I will sanctify my great name, which was profane among the heathen, which ye have profaned in the midst of them. Paul says to them that they, bla they, they blasphemed God before the Gentiles. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, saith the Lord God, when I shall be sanctified in you before their eyes. So we're talking about second coming. We're talking about him back, back up there in verse 19. I, and I scattered them among the heathen. Verse 21, but I had pity for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the heathen, whether they went. So he's got them there, verse, the end of verse 17, as the uncleanliness of a removed woman. I mean, he, they are the harlot. They're out whoring about with other gods. They're not who they're supposed to be. And he says, hey, the Gentiles are going to see me clean you people up. Now watch, now watch what, how he's going to do it. Verse 24. For I will take you from among the heathen, gather you out of all the countries, and will bring you into your own land. He's going to do what he said to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob he was going to do. A part of that covenant then, verse 25, Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you. So the water baptism in scripture is a sprinkling, not a dunking, not a halfer, not a holer, not a drowner, but a sprinkle. Isn't it, though? It is. They, you know, and everybody says, well, Philip and the eunuch, they went down into the river. Well, where do you think he was going to get the, the water from? You know, you go down in there and get, get knee deep, and then you can, you know, it's a little easier to reach it at thigh high than it is at toe high. <laughs> anyway, verse 25, And ye shall be clean with all, from all your filthiness, and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them, and you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. That's the issue of the new birth, the regeneration. Okay? When he looks at Nicodemus and he says, you got to be born again, they were born once physically coming out of Egypt. The only nation that God ever begot, you and I were never born of God once, or we don't get the second birth because we were never born once of him. We were born once of our mom and dad. The second birth, they got the descendants, the physical, but they need the spiritual to be taken care of. And that's where we're at, really. That's where we're at in Matthew 5. But what I want, so he's going to give them a new heart, a new spirit. He's going to write the law in them. He's going to cause them to do. But look over at verse 36. Then the heathen that are left round about you shall know that I, the Lord, build the ruined place, and plant that was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken it, and I will do it. They've come all down through the Battle of Armageddon. It's all over. They're heathen left. Okay? So that tells you, first of all, the second coming, its intensity is in the Middle East when we talk about the route. It's all through Israel. It's in that Middle East area. It, but the world's going to feel it. I mean, when you shut down a third of the shipping industry, everybody feels that, okay? When you mess with a third of the world's water sources, it's going to mess with people feel that. But it's not directed at the heathen. 
It's directed first to clean up Israel, to get the dross out of it, to get the rebel out of her. Because then through Israel, he's going to turn around, and then he'll go deal with the nations. That's the thousand years. But notice verse 36, the heathen that are left round about you shall know that I, the Lord, build. He, the heathen are watching the Lord work. Verse 37, thus saith the Lord God, I will yet for this be inquired of by the house of Israel to do, to, to do it for them. I will increase them with men like a flock, as the holy flock, as the flock of Jerusalem in her solemn feast. And so shall the waste cities be filled with flocks of men, and they shall know that I am the Lord. In verse 37, the house of Israel is going to go to the Lord and say, do it for them. Do what for them? Give them the new heart. Give them the new spirit. Clean them up. Build their ruin, rebuild their ruined places. Do what you're doing for us, Lord. Go do it for those Gentiles over there. Now, the only time a Jew would ever say that is if he's had a what? <laughs> a hard attitude change. But he did, back up in verse 26. Follow that. So when we come into Matthew 5, the Lord's going to literally reach back into the Old Testament and bring... So the how that they're going to live spontaneous lifestyle that we're going to see now, Look at Matt, go back to Matthew 5. Look at verse number 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Do you and I inherit the earth today? No, we don't. How about the meek? What happens to the meek today? They end up with nothing, don't they? That doesn't work today. Look down at verse 19. 519. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so... He shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, the context, verse 17, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I, came, I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. He's talking about the law of Moses. And he says, Man, if you're out there doing and teaching the law, you're going to be called great. And if you're not teaching the law, you're going to be called least. Do we teach the law today? No, we don't. So then what are we? We're chopped liver. We're least in the kingdom. Okay? It's, so this, <laughs> we don't teach Romans 6.14. We're not under the law. We're under grace. Romans 7, the first six chapters, the first six verses, we're dead to the law. So when we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, Sermon on the Mount says you guys are least in the kingdom. Okay? The details don't fit us. Look at verse 21. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say, thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Do you go around saying raka to people? They don't even know what the word means, okay? We'll, 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 I'm going to save what it means for when we get there, okay? You see, folks, that that's all Jewish. Verse 23, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar... And there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee. Do we have an altar today? We put the book and everything in the middle of the room and we raise it up because we're teaching the book. That's why we're, I'm up. When we were on the baseline, I was level with everybody. And I told the guys, I said, we got to build, we got to get the book up. We, problem is, is when we got up, I got like that far from the ceiling because <laughs> it was a real low ceiling. But here, when we came and looked at the building, I was like, good, we're up. You know, we looked at a place over off of University North, and literally, the, the auditorium was huge. And it was literally six stairs, six, six stairs to get up to the platform. He was really up. <laughs> and I, I figured I'd end up falling off of that one. 
walking around. My point is, folks, this stuff doesn't sit with us. Come on down to verse 38. Ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye who that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other side. Do you do that? I tell you what. And if any man shall sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. They take you to law. You know, usually what, do you, what are we doing today? We're fighting that. But the Lord, the spontaneous living, just let him have it all. And verse 41, And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with thee twain. Anybody telling you to go a mile with them? You know, it's, that's kind of like somebody coming along and saying, here, have, you know, do this with me, and it's an illegal activity. You're going to do, now we're going to go twice, you know. No, we don't. You, <laughs> the details don't fit us today. This is all doctrine for the nation of Israel. The ethical conduct, the ethical content, I should say, of the Sermon on the Mount, this the, the ethics here that Christ is teaching. You can take Romans 12 and other places like that where Paul teaches us the same ethical content, but he teaches it for you and I today. Paul will come along and he'll say, be filled with the Spirit. That's what these guys are. Walk in the Spirit. That's what they're doing. He'll say in Romans 8 that in us the righteousness of the law is fulfilled. Well, how is that done? Well, it's not us, it's not fulfilled in us out here doing the law. It's us out here walking in the Spirit. When we get over into Romans 8 in our Sunday school hour, I'm looking forward to Romans because I haven't taught it in a long time and Anyway, I'm just looking forward to it. So come back to, there to verse 1. Romans 5, uh, Matthew 5, verse 1. Oh, well, say, okay, I'm like, I, I thought I would. Didn't. Verse 1. Blah, 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 blah. So we'll go back to Genesis 1. We'll just start in the beginning. <laughs> Folks, we have to, when we look at this, we're going to leave it where it sits. We're not gonna, I'm not going to try to spend a lot of time dragging this over and showing. We can do that at another time, okay? I, I'm going to teach it as I taught Luke and John where it sits and who it's talking to. That's what we're going to look at it, okay? Then you can understand, if you understand what all this is about and where it sits and who it is, then you can understand that. Then you can go over and make the, the applications to you and I where you can say, hey, that would fit here, that could fit. But this is not to you and I. The disciples, verse 1, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into the mountain, and, and, where, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. That's the basic, that's, basically, that's the little flock. That's the, his followers. Okay? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Verse 7, blessed. Verse 8, blessed. Verse 9, blessed. Verse 10, blessed. Verse 11, blessed. Verse 12 is a rejoice. That issue of being bl a blessed, happy, joyful. But that comes from something going on deep down inside of you. Not just, boy, I'm happy I made the light. Woohoo! I made that green. It was a stale yellow, and a fresh red. But I made it. You know, it's not. He's not. It's rather something that's going on beyond the circumstances of where they sit. It has to do with something that's deep down inside of them. And again, he's going to portray that that lifestyle of the kingdom and that attitude that they're going to have. Verse three. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. When he says poor in spirit, he's talking about people who know that they, they have a spiritual need. 
Okay. This is, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven, in other words, the kingdom of heaven is going to be built on a, on a certain spiritual attitude. And that is an attitude of humility. Poor in spirit. Come back with me to Psalms 34. Let's look at a few verses. I'll try to do some of this with you as we go through here, but looking at the clock, we're ticking away. Psalms 34, look at verse 18. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. There's the poor. That word poor, it isn't, oh my goodness, he doesn't have any money. It's rather that attitude of, you know, of humility, of contrite. It, it, it isn't me. <laughs> Psalms 34, verse 18. Okay. Look over at Isaiah 66. Isaiah 66. Isaiah 66 and verse number 2. Isaiah 66, verse number 2. You see, the humility. The, the, as we go through this, this is stuff is very specific, not general. Most preachers today make this all general. Oh, poor in spirit. Boy, if you don't give your hundred bucks, you get a thousand. You know, no. This is someone who comes and says, you know what? It's not I, but Christ. This isn't about me. It's about him and his activity. Isaiah 66. You got it now? Everybody? Okay. Verse 2. For all those things hath mine hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. There he is. So when you come back to Matthew 5, okay, he, he, when he says poor in spirit, he's talking about something very specific. Are you back in Matthew 5? Run over to chapter 11. Give me one more, verse 29. Because the Lord says this. Matthew 11, verse 29. Verse 28, he says, Come unto me, all ye that are labor, that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and lean on me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Meek and lowly in heart. So in 5.3, blessed are the poor in spirit. That's very specific there. The kingdom of heaven is going to be built on a, that spiritual attitude of humility. Not pride, not arrogance, not what we're going to see in the leaders of Israel. But rather in the, that little flock that come along and they're the publicans and the sinners. They're the outcasts and they, and they know it. That, that the, the, the publican goes in and he's praying and he just says, falls on the mercy seat and says, I got nothing to offer you like this guy does, but I believe you. <laughs> then he says, verse 4, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. All right, so let's get out the mourning sticks. You know, I, No. What do the preachers do? Mourn. Are you in mourning? No, this is very specific here. Not all who mourn are going to be comforted. Judas Iscariot, he mourned about betraying the Lord. And yet, he goes to those guys and says, here's your money back. And they're like, too bad, he goes out and hung himself. Not, not much comfort there. The rich man and Lazarus. The rich man's mourning, he's in torment. And Abraham says, you had the opportunity you blew it. You didn't listen to Abraham. You didn't listen to Moses. You didn't listen to the word. So we're very specific here. We're not just in a general thing. Uh, you Come over to Matthew 24. This mourning, it's a specific type of mourning. Matthew 24, look at verse number 30. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. So this is second coming passage. This is tribulation, end of the 70th week of Daniel. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, Israel mourning, 
and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. The Israel is going to mourn. They're going to have sorrow. Come over to Revelation chapter 1. Let's put these together here. Revelation 1, verse 7. So Israel is going to mourn. The second coming taking place, Israel is, more, is in mourning. Revelation 1, verse 7. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. So now the whole world's going to see him. And they also which pierced him, there's Israel, and all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. Now everybody's mourning because he's coming back in what? Vengeance, pouring out his wrath. Come over to Zechariah chapter 12. You see, folks, when, when we start talking about these things, we're not, it's, it's, just, it's not tiptoe through the tulips and make you feel good on Sunday morning. This stuff is very specific. It's very Israel-driven. It's very second coming because the kingdom's coming. Zechariah chapter 12, starting verse 9. Zechariah 12, 9. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. In that day shall there be a great mourning in Jerusalem, as the mourning of Hedarim in the valley of Megiddo. That's the battle of Armageddon. And the land shall mourn, every family apart, the family of the house of David apart, and their wives apart, and the family of the house of Nathan apart, and their wives apart, the family of the house of Levi apart. All, verse 14, all the families that remain, every family apart and their wives apart. You know what? The whole blessed nation of Israel breaks out into their part of the land, and they're in mourning. 13.1, in that day there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanliness, and it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord God of hosts, that I will, and off he goes. So when you come back to Matthew 5, well, come over to Isaiah. Well, you know what? Yeah, you better read this one, Isaiah 40. Because he says in, in Matthew 5, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Look at Isaiah 40. So the mourning is from their rejection of the Lord. They deserve wrath. It's coming on them. But who's going to be mourning? The little flock is. The nation, the apostate nation as a whole didn't. They're looking at him trying to kill him. We can beat him. Bring it on. But that little flock says, whoa, wait, that's who we pierced. And oh my goodness. And oh, it's Daniel 9 when he gets up and does a national confession. For the nation of, hey, we've sinned against thee, and thee only have we sinned. Isaiah 40, verse 1. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem, and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way. And uh-oh, here comes the comforter, the first comforter. That's, by the way, that's why in John he says, and another comforter is going to come. People miss that word, another. The first one's there. You go over to chapter 51, you go over to chapter 61, and they're talking about comfort. You see, folks, the comfort is going to come in the millennial kingdom. So when you come back to Matthew 5, the mourning is a specific mourning, mourn, and it is a specific comfort. They're going to mourn in the second coming, and they're going to get comfort in the kingdom 
those that believe what, what's happening and transpiring. Do you, you follow that? I hope you do. Verse, by the way, verse 4, what, they, what the preachers do is then they run you and I over to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. The Father of mer- the God of all mercies, the Father of comfort, or the Father of all mercies, the God of comfort. See, you get your comfort, and, and they pulled, and it, you yes, you can make the application, but that's not what fi- Matthew five is talking about. Verse five, Matthew five five. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meek, meekness is not weakness. Okay. Moses, Numbers 12, verse 3, was the meekest man alive. But he, sure enough, was not weak. Actually, Moses was a bulldog. He was a pit bull. He went after it. Okay? So meek, (laughs) meek here, it's it's not weak. It's rather someone that can bear... The and patiently bear the insults and the rejections that are that are going to come their way. Okay, they come back to Psalms thirty-seven. This is where the quote comes from. He, the meek, the one, the guy that can bear the insults, he's the one that's going to get the kingdom. He's the one that's going to inherit the earth. Not retaliate. Let the Lord take care of that. I'm just going to take it. I'm going to bear it. Uh, it meekness has been said to be peace under pressure. I told you Psalms 37, right? But that, that's pace, By the way, that's the same definition for patience. Peace under pressure. That comes, honestly, folks, that comes from an understanding of what God's doing. And what he's not doing. You and I, we can apply that to us today and that we understand he's not in the get even business. So when things happen in life, it's not him getting even. That that brings peace in that pressure point. Um, Psalms 37, verse number 11 is the quote. Okay. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. But go back up to verse number 9. For evildoers shall be cut off. That's the apostate nation. They're gone. But those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Patiently waiting on the Lord. Enduring the insults that are coming their way, because they're, they're going to come. In that tribulation, brother's going to go up again. You know, the Lord says, I, his, the Lord's first coming was not a coming of peace. It was a coming of division. We'll see it as we go through in Matthew. We saw it in Luke. He says, I didn't come to here. I came here to divide. Father from, from family and mother from kids and mom and dad. I divide this bad boy up right here. That's these guys. Come over to Zephaniah. So it's right before Haggai. You're going to find your Old Testament. I can make sure of that. Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. So it's right before the end. Zephaniah 2, chapter 2. So when he says the meek are going to inherit the earth, he's talking about someone who's going to be able to withstand the insults that are going to come their way. And that is going to be a tremendous thing for them to be able to handle and to stand. Zephaniah 2, verse 1. Gather yourselves together, ye, I'm sorry, yea, gather together, O nation not desired. That's Israel. Verse 2. Before the decree bring forth. Before the day pass as the chaff, before the fierce anger of the Lord come upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger come upon you. Where are we at? <laughs> we're not in the we're not in the you know we're not in the wonderful days, we're in the tribulation. Second coming, verse three. Seek ye the Lord 
all ye meek of the earth, which have wrought his judgment, seek righteousness, seek meekness, it may be ye shall, shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. Over there in Revelation, who's hid in Revelation 12 from the, from the, from the day of the Lord's anger? That little flock is. Why? Because th- what did they seek? They sought, they sought righteousness. They sought meekness. Isn't that interesting? That, that, that's, go, go back to Matthew 5. That's the whole issue here is that little flock and what they're doing. Matthew 5. You know what? Look, go back to Isaiah for me, 26. I I don't want to skip important, well, what I think to be some critical information in all of this. Yeah, Isaiah 26. Yes, I'm sorry. There's only 21 verses, so we're going to go through all of them. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) We're going to look at the first nine. Isaiah 26, verse 1. Isaiah 26, the whole of it fits Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Fits the stuff where we're at. Verse 1. In that day shall shall this song be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. Salvation will God appoint for walls and bulwarks. Verse 2, open ye the gates, that the righteous nation which keepeth the truth may enter in. There it is. There's that little flock, the believing remnant. What are they keeping? The truth. Verse 3, thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Why do they have peace? Why that meekness issue? Why are they able to withstand the insults and what's going on? Because they're they got the right renewed mind thinking going on. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. For he bringeth down them that dwell on high, the lofty city. He layeth it low, he layeth it low, even to the ground, he bringeth it even to the dust. That's that. The poor in spirit, they're coming down. The foot shall tread it down, even the foot of the poor and the steps of the needy. The way of the just is upright. Thou, most upright, dost weigh the path of the just. Yea, in the way of thy judgments, O Lord, have we waited for thee. The desire of our soul is to thy name and to the remembrance of thee. With my soul have I desired thee in the night. Yea, with my spirit within me will I seek thee early. For when thy judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. There they are. That righteousness is the lifestyle of the kingdom. Come back to Matthew 5. When Jesus comes, Jeremiah 23, he says he comes as the Lord our righteousness. That's what they're waiting for, the meek. They'll inherit the earth. Verse 6, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. There they are. That's Isaiah 26 right there. (laughs) There they are. They're desperate for the lifestyle of, that's going to match the lifestyle in the kingdom. They want it right now. Their whole, their whole heart, soul, spirit, everything about them craves after the righteousness that Christ brings to them. They're looking for it. These guys aren't sitting around going, hey, blah, 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 you know, hey, the sun came up today, woohoo, you know. They're actively seeking. They're doing all of that stuff in Isaiah 26. They're literally going after it, looking for it. Verse 7, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Did I, oh, 8. 
oh, I'm mismerciful. I'm wondering why it said mercy down there. I'm like, mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. You know, if you give mercy, what are you going to get back? Mercy. That's what he's saying. Come over to chapter 7, Matthew 7. But I, I'm, I hope you get what we're trying to do here with these guys. Leave them where they're at. Who do they belong to? The little flock, the believing remnant, the lifestyle of that kingdom saint. Uh, Matthew 7, verse 1. Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged, and with what measure ye ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. Verse 12, Therefore all things whatsoever ye would do that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law. So we got the golden rule. Do unto others first before they do it to you. (laughs) Right? (laughs) That's the idea. Mercy, you, you, you meet out mercy, guess what you're going to get? You're going to get mercy back. What are they going to meet out? They're going to, they're going to, blessed are the merciful. Doesn't say maybe be merciful. They are merciful. All right, verse 8, Matthew 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now that's a good one. They shall see God. Everybody is going to see God. The unsaved will stand before God at the great white throne judgment. If you're saved and you're a member of the body of Christ, you're going to stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ. And if you're in Israel, you're going to be right there with him and before him in the kingdom. So everybody's going to see God. But that's not what that verse said, is it? Who's going to see God? The pure in heart. See, we got a, there's something else going on here other than just the peripheral, hey, everybody, if you're pure in heart. By the way, who's pure in heart? <laughs> None of you. Just me. No, not even me, you know. You see, folks, the pure in heart. Uh, come back to Psalms 24. Psalms 24. Psalms 24. Psalms 24 is one of those passages. It sits at the end of 22, 23, and 24. Psalms 22, the good shepherd. It's all about the cross. Psalms 23, the great shepherd. It's about the congregation. You know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, and so forth. And then Psalms 24, here's the chief shepherd. And it's all about his coming. And when he comes back, verse 1, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. For he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. Isn't that interesting? Who's going to do all this? Verse 3. The guy with clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessings from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him, they seek, that seek thy face, O Jacob, Selah. Pure heart, clean hands. They're able to go up. Those are the guys that are going to be able to go up where God is. Well, where is God in the nation of Israel? That little building down there called the temple. Who's, wa- who's working in the temple? The clean heart and the pure, the pure heart and the clean hand guys are. By the way, you'll notice in verse 6 that Jacob is put in place of God. The God of Jacob is who they're dealing with. Verse 7, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts, he is the King of glory, Selah. By the way, that word Selah, that, I know what they do with the, the poetry and the music of Psalms, and you just go... Pfft. 
so they don't know what they're talking about. It is poetry, and it does have a psalm to it, okay? But that word selah, the, the, the commentary, he, he says, it's a pregnant pause. That's what I said, a pregnant pause. I know no, of no pregnant woman who's pausing, <laughs> okay? No, what it is in the scripture, it is a pause for Israel to think about the doctrine he just went and taught them. Because the doctrine he just went over has to do with the second coming and the kingdom out there. When does the king of glory come back? It's out there. Come over to Isaiah 33. So when he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, this is he's talking about that believing remnant, that little flock, Isaiah 33. Start down there in verse 14. Isaiah 33, 14. The sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness hath surprised the hypocrites. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? He that walketh righteously and speaketh uprightly. He that despiseth the gain of the oppressors. Isn't that interesting? There's going to be a day out there when they're not going to have food in the cupboard and the neighbor who's an unbelieving Jew is going to have a house full of it because he took the mark of the beast. The gain of the oppressors. He's going to look at that believing Jew and say, hey, I got it over here, and that believing Jew is going to say, no, thank you. Get a, Raka, get away from me. <laughs> Verse 17 Thine eyes shall see the king in his beauty. They shall behold the land that is very far off. Chapter 35, verse 4. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be open, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped, and so on. And what does Matthew 5, 8 say? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. By the way, the Isaiah 35 passage, the Isaiah 33 Psalms, all of that is in reference to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. That believing remnant, when they look at the Lord Jesus Christ in their midst, you know what they see? They see God, and they know it. They're pure in heart, and they got clean hands. They haven't been out digging around old Jezebel and the Baal situation. They've been, they're pure. That believing remnant, see, they see God in Christ. They see Emmanuel, God with us. They know it. That's why they believe it. Matthew 5. We got a few more minutes. We'll get to the hour anyway. Verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. That's not a that's not a pistol, okay? And this pistol, a couple colts have is called peacemakers. It's not what he's talking about. Five nine. By the way, being a peacemaker is a hard thing to do today. If you're going to be a peacemaker, you know what you got to go do. You got to go join the UN and all the self-help organizations out there and try to help everybody. Good old Jimmy Carter, I, I'm amazed at the man's stamina to be doing what he's doing at his age. But he's out there building homes. That's been his mantra since day one. And he's doing it based on this stuff, and it ain't working. The chief characteristic in the kingdom is going to be one of peace. But that peace comes from his second coming. It doesn't come from his first coming. It comes from his second coming. Um, if you come over, uh, Luke 12, if you will, just to show you a verse on this one. Luke 12, 51. Luke 12, 51. Here's his first coming. Luke 12, 51. Suppose ye that I am come to give peace on earth. I tell you, nay, but rather division. For from henceforth thou shalt be five in one house divided, three against two, two against three. 
The father shall be divided against the son, the son against the father, the mother against the daughter, the daughter against the mother, the mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. You thought they just didn't like each other. There's a built-in reason they don't like each other. And he said also to the people, when ye shall see a cloud rise out of, and off he goes, the west. He says, I didn't, my first coming, I didn't come in to bring peace. I come to bring division, man. We're going to mess this up. All of, go back to Matthew 5. All of this has to do with his second coming. And what it's going to be like to live in the kingdom. So he says, verse 10. Let's see if we can't get through 5, 10, and 11. Uh, 10, 11, and 12 here. Verse 10. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you, that's talk bad about you, and persecute you. There's the physical, beat you up, treat you bad. And shall say all manner of evil against you, key word in the verse, falsely, for my sake. So there's a couple things there. That the righteous, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake. Over there, he says to, in 1 Peter, Peter says, hey, if you're going to suffer, suffer for being a Christian. Suffer for Christ's sake. <laughs> Don't suffer because you're stupid. That's what he's saying here, verse 11. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute. There, there's two qualifications here. First one is the revile and the persecution. And in that, they have it, that the, the persecution and the revilement has to be a lie. It has to be a false report. The second qualification is that you're doing it for my sake. First Peter 4.16 is that reference, by the way. Suffer for Christ's sake. So, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. The persecution is one of being reviled, talked bad about, physically mistreated, but for, the, but for the right reasons. Not you just out there flapping your gums about the, the bears beat the cubs or whatever. Okay? Would have been hard to do. Two different sports. All right? The cubs beat the Red Sox. Ha! You know? not talking about that he's talking about doing because you're out there standing for the truth the pure heart you're being merciful you're having the the attitude of of the poor in spirit you the, the meekness is going you're in there because you're doing it for his sake now watch verse 12 rejoice and be exceeding glad now what tomfoolery is that when someone's beating on you you're to rejoice and be exceedingly glad now, by the way, Paul tells you and I to do that, but we're not talking about us. We're talking about these guys. For great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Isn't that interesting? The persecution that's true of all real followers of Christ, by the way, us included. You know, Paul looks over there and he says, hey, in Philippians, it's not for you to just know that you suffered and died for you, but now you're going to have to go suffer for him. You remember that passage? No, Philippians 1. Philippians 1, verse 29. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Hey, you stand, yea, all those who live godly. I'm sorry, yea, all those who will live godly shall suffer persecution. You're going to make a choice to go do it. Here in Matthew 5, let's have the right attitude about this, guys. You're going to get, they're going to get the kingdom. They're going to, there's, going to be a, there's going to be a reward there for you. By the way, you'll notice the reward is in heaven. And that, boy, you're talking about send everybody to the moon on that. What? In heaven. You're talking about kingdom being here on the earth. Well, come over to 1 Peter 1. It's not hard. You just got to read verses and, uh-oh, there's that word, believe them, <laughs> you know. Rejoice, folks. That reward, 1 Peter 1, verse 3, 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Begotten again. There's that being born again thing. Again, they were physically born. They're God's chosen people. But they need a spiritual... They're still the sons of Adam. They still got to be spiritually cleaned up. Notice that you'll see, begotten us again unto a lively hope. Verse 4, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. It's waiting to be brought back to the earth. It's waiting. It's reserved. It's sitting up there waiting for you. Come over to Revelation 22. Revelation 22. And verse number 12. Revelation 22, 12. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according as his work shall be. He comes quickly. What's with him? But what's that reward? It's that kingdom. You come back over there into Matthew. Matthew 6. Matthew 6. Matthew 6. Here's their reward. Matthew 6, verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. All the what things? All those physical issues. All the physical blessings. We'll be taking care of them. You go over to Luke 19, verse 11 down to about verse 21, 27, right in there. And he looks at him. It's a parable. He goes off to receive the kingdom. He's going to come back. While he's gone, he tells his, the ten to occupy while I'm gone. Gives them that talent. He comes back. The first guy up says, here's ten. I I gave you one, it made ten. He says, you'll have authority over ten cities. What's their reward? That being a part of that governmental structure in the kingdom. So when you come back to Matthew 5, we need to quit. It's been an hour now. Matthew 5, we'll pick up in verse 13. Matthew 5, verse 10 11 and 12, that's the proper attitude you're going to have, you need to have. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's make sure you're being persecuted for the right reasons. And then you're going to rejoice and be exceedingly glad in it, because you'll be taken care of over there in the kingdom. Then he says, verse 13, ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost its savor... Wherefore shall it be salted? It henceforth, it is henceforth, uh, thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Two, two things there, salt and light. Salt. Salt is a wonderful ingredient. It's an influencer, really. It stops corruption. It'll bite. It'll hurt. I mean, you put salt in a wound, and what does it hurt? But it also does what? Heals. It's a preservative. That's where it gets rid of the corruption. It makes things tasty. You can flavor. But if you put too much on it, what happens? Blah. Right? It can hurt. It's a, it's a pain. That little flock, you know what they're going to be? The idea here, we'll pick up and go through this next time. They're going to be the salt. The idea is they're, they're, they're the ones that are going to be the, the pres preservation of the earth is going to be in them. That apostate nation out there is going to be all gone. That little flock, the true Israel of God, they're the ones that he's going to work with and 
preserve the earth. The light, it's on a candlestick. The light of the world, neither do the light of candle, but he put it on a candlestick. Candlestick, Revelation chapter 1, verse 20, the seven candlesticks are the seven churches, those types of the tribulation. And they light up all of the house. We'll go next time over to Luke 15, Isaiah 60, and we'll see all some of that. Luke 15, verse 8, that little woman over there, she loses that silver, piece of silver. She sweeps the house. One piece, she takes a candle and lights it and sweeps the house, looking for that piece of silver, redemption money. That represents the value that Israel has for the world. Lights a candle, sweeps the house to find the thing of lost value. Luke 15, verse 8. Ye are the light. Don't put it under a bushel. We'll go again. Talk, all this is about second coming, little flock, moving into the kingdom, and how they're going to be living in the kingdom. Okay? And we'll again, we'll pick up in verse 13 and make you run some more verses. Okay? Whatever you do, don't think the Beatitudes belong to you and I. Now, again, you under, you, we, I think we got a good grasp of what's going on. We just scraped the surface, by the way, just FYI, okay? <laughs> I, I've got, so I got a list here by one of these verses of, of ten references to run, to look at. And that's one verse, okay? And the rest of them I just put in C-note at end of book. <laughs> Why? Because... They belong to Israel, and the Lord is reaching back and bringing in and so forth. They don't belong to you and I. Now, once you understand them, get a good hold of them, then you can run over and say, hey, you know what? Paul tells us the, some of the similar, the ethical things here, you know, walking in the Spirit, being filled. Hey, we're going to suffer. Let's suffer for Christ's sake. Don't suffer because you made bad decisions or, you know, you reap what you sow and so forth. Okay? All right. Dear Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we thank you for who we are in your son. We'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory for that. In your name we pray. Amen.